Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the second day of March 2023. Happy, glorious, delicious, beautiful Thursday to you, almost Friday. God knows we all want a weekend, don't we? Anyway, I appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. Rate and review on iTunes if you have a moment. Make sure you subscribe, or it's called follow on there now. I don't know why, but it is. Uh, but I appreciate all of it. Don't forget about patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or Derek Hunter.locals.com where you can enter to win the contest, support the show, get extra shows, bonus content, all sorts of things like that. Check it out. All right. Went really fast because I want to get started. So let's get started. We got a lot of ground to cover. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world, but I want to take a listen. There's a... Um, there's some amazing, there was an amazing hearing I'm hoping to get to. We'll see about uh, somebody who's trying to work at the, I I can't explain this woman who simply will not address her, her tweets. She just will not. But I want to start off with an interview yesterday on Fox News, Brett Baer's show. I know, I always, often, not always, but I often praise the Brett Baer show as the only news show that I watch. And it's good, and it's the only news, sh- and it is, and it is something I watched. I watched this whilst I was making paschetti for dinner for the girls. But I, I, I it did. Brett Bear did a horrible job interviewing the FBI director Christopher Ray. A an absolutely horrible job about it now you could say maybe time was of the essence and time is always limited when you're interviewing somebody you've got commercial breaks you've got time constraints on them no director of the fbi is going to say you know what come and hang out with me all day long and ask me questions nonstop. i'll clear my schedule that's not going to happen you get half an hour maybe probably i mean it seemed like it was 20 minutes but it's one thing that's telling about it this is why I hate the news business even more than I normally do nowadays. Brett Baer is uh, has a podcast, right? And he has this interview with Christopher Ray, and they cut it off. They weird. They had it in two parts, which is fine. But then when they cut it off each time, he says uh, to see more of this interview. You can go and download my podcast at Fox News Podcast. Go download my podcast. And you're like, why would you, if there's anything worth, why would you, if there's anything worthwhile, why would you put it on the podcast rather than on the, I don't know, news program, right? So you got to assume that whatever's there is garbage. You just got to assume that whatever's there is filler. Whatever's there has less news value than the interview that they aired, which realistically didn't have any news value at all but was this whole thing because you sit there and you go you well you seem rushed you seem pressed you seem maybe it was editing maybe it was cut for time so that they could get it for was the interview conducted for the news value for the audience of the television show or was the interview conducted to grow the size of the podcast audience because here's just a, a bit of a, a pro tip for anybody out there who's consuming news. If 
anybody says we're going to talk to a news... I I have an example of this coming up. Anybody says we're going to talk to a newsmaker, and we've talked to a newsmaker, and here's part of it, and you can get the rest of it here, it's clickbait. You won't find anything newsworthy there. It's clickbait. Why? Well, because if they are actually in the news business, they would have put the newsworthy parts on their television show. They wouldn't have buried it. There's no news. Oh, man, uh, the stuff you had online, the news nuggets in there were just absolutely amazing. Boy, I didn't see that coming. Nobody ever says that. Nobody ever will say that. So keep that in mind as you listen to this. That I'm not really sure that this interview was conducted to get information. If it was, it didn't. Because the follow-up questions that needed to be asked weren't asked. The information that needed to be dug wasn't dug. And it, oh, well, he was trying to cover a lot of ground. Frankly, the FBI's thoughts on the origin of COVID-19 are largely irrelevant. Yes, the FBI does have uh, tentacles out around the world, and when something horrible happens, they are oftentimes, even by our allies, called in to investigate. But the CIA operates overseas. The FBI operates largely domestically. So their thoughts on where the origin of COVID came, they're a criminal organization. Why would they, unless they're going to charge China, why would they be investigating? His thoughts on that are largely irrelevant. They are. So he spent a lot of time on that. For some reason, he spent a lot of time on that. I don't know why. But anyway, he gets around to asking about the Hunter Biden laptop story. And there are important questions about the Hunter Biden laptop story, namely among them, why was it that the FBI was contacting and dealing with social media websites as evidenced by the Twitter files and telling them ahead of time, hey, there's uh, probably a lot of fake information going to be coming out. And uh, much of it will involve Hunter Biden. So make sure you don't fall for that right before the Hunter Biden story broke. Now, it's weird because the FBI had had Hunter Biden's laptop for about a year by the time the story broke. And they seemed to be trying to convince social media companies that that story was a fraud that the laptop was not real, even though they knew it was real. And, the you know, we need to know why it was, why it would be that FBI officials would try to convince something, somebody or a group of people, companies, that something that was real wasn't real. The only explanation is for political reasons. The only explanation is to favor Joe Biden over Donald Trump. The FBI. You can sit there and be mad at the Twitter. Oh, Twitter blocked the New York Post and Facebook blocked the New York Post. It was the FBI that was pulling the strings behind that. People should be fired. We Nobody's even being investigated, as far as we know. So Brett Baer asks about that and gets a wholly unsatisfying answer and kind of lets it go about the Hunter Biden laptop, there was concern about the authenticity and even Vice President Biden on the debate stage 
referenced this letter from former uh, intel officials. There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. But it turns out it wasn't. I, I can't speak to what former uh, officials of the intelligence community may or may not have said. I can only speak to what we do. And unfortunately, as you would expect, if we're going to do this investigation in the right way, that means I can't talk about the specifics of that investigation other than to assure everyone that I expect our people to tackle this investigation the way that I expect them to tackle every investigation, which is to follow the facts wherever they lead, no matter who likes it. Okay, and there's so always somebody about... who doesn't like it. That was it. That was the extent of the question about it. Well, I expect them to follow the facts wherever they may lead. This isn't about following the facts. This isn't about an investigation, Brett. It's really about Brett. Look, you got to expect a political appointee weasel like Christopher Ray to be a political appointee weasel. This is about the journalist there, ready to hold him to account. The Hunter Biden laptop, laptop story was true. The laptop was real. The FBI had it. The FBI knew more so than the, well, as much as the repair shop guy who called the FBI and said there's a lot of weird stuff on this thing that involves the Democratic nominee for president. You might want to come in here and get this stuff. It involves overseas. There's a lot of weird stuff, let's just say. Now, that guy who owned that repair shop owned that computer legally. He could have wiped it clean and sold it. But he saw something in there that disturbed him, a lot of things in there that disturbed him. It may have been all the videos of Hunter having sex with seemingly obviously trafficked women, prostitutes, no question about that, that you go, well, maybe the police need to be involved in this. They came in, they collected it, they knew it was real, they had it, and they then set about doing everything humanly possible to make sure that we, the public, didn't see that information. we There's a lot of illegal stuff on that laptop. A mere mortal, such as myself or you, had the uh, FBI fallen into that much evidence, self-filmed evidence of illegal activity, we would have, at a minimum, been questioned, but probably been arrested. Right, You probably would have been arrested for it. As it turns out, we don't know because the jur journalists who had the opportunity to ask the questions haven't bothered yet. Maybe when Christopher Ray goes before Congress, before too long here, we can get some answers. But we don't know what the FBI's first or second or whatever eventual path of action was once they got their hands on this uh, this laptop. It seems to me, since the Democrat establishment, including the Biden campaign, was so ready for this story, that maybe the FBI tipped them off. Do you think maybe that's a possibility where the FBI went in and saw this laptop and said, holy cow, all right, well, look, we have a long-established relationship with the Bidens, let's... We need to call them and give them a heads up on this thing. We need to call them and maybe figure out what's going on here. They sure didn't call the media. They sure didn't call a prosecutor. 
they called social media eventually once we started to find out. So I would like to know the chain of custody and the events of those things. Instead, we get a question about nonsense where... Ray deflects it. I can't look. I can't be responsible for. Nobody's accusing you of being that. Bringing up the letter was stupid. Bringing up the letter was pointless. The letter had nothing to do with the FBI. The letter is irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. The actions of the FBI in contacting Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and saying this is a fake story. Watch out. Get rid of it. You probably should want to make sure that there's limited things. You know, put it, planting the seeds before. The week before the story, the week before the story, people don't seem to understand this. The week before the New York Post broke the story, which means that the FBI knew somebody was sniffing around, either somebody contacted the FBI and said, hey, the New York Post is sniffing around, or might I throw this one out there? Or the FBI was monitoring certain people's communications for fear that they might get this information, right? The guy called, the computer repair guy calls the FBI. The FBI comes and picks up the laptop. The laptop has been uh, copied. That guy then, after getting no satisfactory answers whatsoever from the FBI, contacts the Trump campaign, contacts Rudy Giuliani and other people I can't even remember. Do you think that maybe then Rudy Giuliani, somebody in there, I imagine one of the people that the shopkeeper contacted then contacts the New York Post. It's getting close to the Trump inner circle. Do you think that the Trump inner circle was being monitored at that point? How did the FBI know to reach out to social media sites before the breaking of the story to say something? Maybe it's just a horrible coincidence. But if you're saying, look out, there's going to be a lot of Russian disinformation and it's probably going to involve Hunter Biden. Well, at that point, when the story comes out involving Hunter Biden, you might reasonably, if you believe the FBI, go, oh, this must be that Russian disinformation we're hearing about. We certainly don't want to be accused of spreading Russian disinformation. You can almost absolve Twitter, Facebook, Instagram for going, wait a second, this is, they believed the FBI. Naive. <laughs> but they believed the FBI. Because you sit there and you think, and you, you, as a couple years ago, your instinct would have been to believe the FBI. Well, the FBI is not going to lie. This is the FBI. It's not the case anymore, thanks to this and other things similar to this. But you could see almost why they would. What you don't understand, what you can't accept, what doesn't make sense in the traditional sense is why anybody would believe the FBI director now. Now that we know all that we know, all the internal communications, the San Francisco field office set up a direct line of encrypted communication with Twitter to, in real time, censor accounts. Censor accounts. Some were Americans. That's a huge problem, a massive violation 
of the First Amendment. Now they say, well, we just suggested to Twitter that maybe they want to take this one down because it's not true, even though many of them turned out to be true. But that, again, is not the job of the Federal Bureau of Investigation. They are held to, they're part of the government, which holds them to the Constitution. Or it's, I mean, I realize it's absurd to say that since the federal government doesn't give a damn about the Constitution anymore, but it is important that it is ignored is massively important. So the real question for Christopher Ray would have been a follow-up question to this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the intelligence officials, the CIA people, the ex-spooks who lied, obviously, the Democrat spooks who lied and used their government job titles to help elect a Democrat. I'm talking about the actions of the FBI, the field office in San Francisco in particular, and then you cite a couple of specific examples. And if Christopher Ray still gives you a non-answer like he did to that question, you then follow up with, have you not bothered to look into this? Do you not care or do you not think it's important and worth your time? that at least one field office certainly appears to have been involved in election influence. I would like to have heard an answer to that question. That question was not asked. That question was not asked. It was not answered. It was not acknowledged. They just went on about their business. This is just the first. I'm not going to play a ton of... I thought that the entire interview was kind of a waste of time but i have one more example this is by the way is not to attack brett bear although i think he did a particularly bad job at this interview and it was i don't know twice he said goodbye thank you for your service to director ray and like really dude really i suspect there's a friendship there that uh, and that's the problem if i had to guess i don't know but if i it, it strike me you don't say posture for the cameras thank you for your friendship to your interview subject unless some kind of conditions were made oh look please let me do this please let me all right let's do it. all right we're friends we golf together over the weekends let's let's not go crazy it's not i'm not gonna really dig in that's how you get the interview i'm not really gonna dig in so don't worry i gotta ask you certain questions but i'm not gonna really pound you on it and you know, oh thank you for your service oh it's been a great honor to talk to you no he's a he works for the American people, okay? He's supposed to. Anyway, all of the American people. So you don't sit there and kiss his butt. I just found it a particularly uh, frustrating missed opportunity to get some information. And look, I am perfectly willing. There are a lot of people out there who, when you introduce facts contrary to what they wish were reality, they simply will not accept it. It seems to be the business model of much of cable news, particularly MSNBC. I am not one of those people. I want a satisfactory answer. I want a satisfactory answer to a lot of questions. If I get that satisfactory answer, I am satisfied, right? But a lot of times there are just people who simply don't want to know. Ignorance is bliss. Weirdly, they're the most miserable people on the planet usually, but that's beside the point. It is, there are people who simply will not accept no matter what. There are people who will forever believe that 
Stacey Abrams was elected governor of Georgia in, 20, in uh, 2008 and 18. And the only reason she wasn't sworn in is because of the color of her skin and all of the voter suppression that occurred. Now, weirdly, one of those people is not Stacey Abrams. I don't believe for a second she believes that she won that election, but she understood the marketing value of saying that. You can find cynicism like that in all across the political spectrum. There are a lot of people out there, some of whom will be honored at uh, certain events, dinners this Friday, uh, that uh, will that they understand that they lost, but they see the path forward to monetizing that loss. Stacey Abrams made millions of dollars in the four years she wasn't governor, running around claiming she should have been governor. She really did. She's fabulously wealthy. She is more wealthy than she's ever been in her life, and she'll never have to worry about money again. That's how wealthy she got. She's still the darling of the left. So after conning all of these people, lying to them, knowingly lying to them, and then getting her ass handed to her in the rematch that she'd so desperately wanted. She's still revered. She's still revered by a certain segment of the population who are not going to purchase her goods and services. She's not really offering any goods and services. They will simply throw money at her causes, thinking that she will somehow lead them to the promised land. It's a con. It's the long con. It's a long con that many people in politics engage in. So, yeah, I say I'm a little cynical. I am a little cynical, I guess, because, uh, well, I see what's going on and I know what it means. So after the uh, one question about Hunter Biden's laptop, Brett Baer moves on, then comes up the pro-lifer up in uh, Pennsylvania, Mark Houck. Remember the story of Mark Houck? Mark Houck is uh, a pro-life activist who was arrested whilst praying the rosary outside a uh, Pennsylvania abortion clinic. Well, the story from Fox News after he was acquitted. He was acquitted completely, completely exonerated. A jury reportedly acquitted. Why do you reportedly in your headline? You're a freaking news organization. A jury has acquitted, forgetting reportedly, Pennsylvania pro-life activist who was accused of allegedly pushing a planned parenthood escort during a clash outside an abortion clinic, Life News has reported. You want to know how bad and lazy Fox News is right there. They didn't bother to do the story themselves. Life News reported it, and so they're still saying it was reportedly and Allegedly, well, he was accused of pushing somebody and then he was tried for it. No. Mark Houck, 48, faced charges that he violated the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, which makes it a federal crime to use force with the intent to injure, intimidate, or interfere with anyone because that person produces reproductive health care. That person produces reproductive health care? He pleaded not guilty. The charges stem from an October 13th, 2021 incident in the Biden, in which the Biden administration alleged how assaulted and forcefully shoved Bruce Love, a 72-year-old volunteer, 
at Philadelphia Planned Parenthood. Houck was arrested at his home. There was a raid. Now, it turns out that the 72-year-old volunteer was going a little bit rough at Mr. Houck's daughter. Now, you can think of this what you will. You'd think that everybody involved here has some issues or that you'd have something better to do than hang out outside an abortion clinic and get into a shoving match with somebody. That's your choice. People, that's the beauty of this country is you're free to do whatever you want to do as long as it is within reason and as long as you are obeying the laws. Now, Hauk was accused of shoving somebody. Shoving somebody. Now, that's an interesting thing. Now, now I'm not advocating for shoving anybody by any stretch of the imagination, but to equate that somehow with violence that necessitates, once the charges are brought, that necessitates a 30-agent raid on the man's house to arrest him, to bring him down to the courthouse to charge him, is insane. That's what the FBI did. Think what you will of Hauk and what he did. Doesn't matter. It's irrelevant to this story, or at least it should be. It's actually wildly relevant to this story because everything these days is seen through a political lens. And you can't just go, all right, well, is a... Like, who was it? Paul Manafort? Not in very good health. We don't have to raid his house. How many people in the Trump administration? we got to raid their house. Raid their house. In the wee hours of the morning. Why? Well, because we want to. Hmm. Interesting. Obstruction of Congress. Refusing to bow to Congress's will. We'll send the, the FBI to get you. Meanwhile, by the way, the... Uh, Lawyers for Hunter Biden are uh, saying that they're not really planning on cooperating with subpoenas sent to them by Congress, by the House of Representatives, looking into the laptop story and all that. Why? Because the subpoenas do not really have anything to do with a legitimate legislative function of the House of Representatives, they say. That excuse didn't fly when it was Republicans being investigated by Democrats. But it doesn't matter. That D protects them. We'll see if the Justice Department eventually dispatches teams of FBI agents to arrest Hunter Biden or to seize documents in that case. But in any event, back to the Hulk case. He was facing 11 years in prison which is in and of itself absurd. But he was acquitted on all charges. Philadelphia jury said, nope. Now, this is not a friendly jury. But it is an absurd case. And it was an absurd set of charges. And what was most obscene about the whole thing was the fact that truly 30 agents were dispatched to raid his home. They have, what, seven kids? His lawyers had already been in touch with the Justice Department and said, if you want him to, if you're going to charge him, he will voluntarily come down to the courthouse. Don't worry about it. We'll come down. We'll accept the charges. We're willing to face the charges. He was manning up, if you will. And instead, the FBI said, nope, no thanks. We're coming to get you. They didn't say we're coming to get you in an unannounced early morning raid. They 
kicked in his door and arrested him in front of his kids. 30 armed, fully covered in SWAT tactical you know, uniform agents went into a guy who was cooperating, was peaceful, etc., etc. Brett Baer asked about this because there is a a discrepancy, a major difference between how conservatives are treated by this administration and this Justice Department and this FBI and liberals, progressives, the violent BLM Antifa mob. Has there been a single raid of them? Meanwhile, anybody whose phone pinged off a cell tower on January 6th in the area of the United States Capitol has had teams of FBI agents kick in their doors, whether they were there or not. Doesn't matter. Bit of a different thing. And so Brett Baer asks about that. All right, so let's talk about by the book. Mark Houck, Pennsylvania pro-life activist, arrested at his home in front of his family for an alleged violation of the Freedom of Access of Clinics Act alleged incident which he was protesting in front of an abortion clinic. He was recently acquitted of all charges at trial. The show of force for that arrest, that decision to use that force, was that by the book? Those decisions are made as they should be by the commanders on the ground in the field office who have the expertise about when to conduct operations safely and securely for the safety of everybody involved. And to my knowledge, those processes were all followed in this case. To my knowledge, those pro- you have no questions? You didn't bother about this? Okay, I get that they didn't want to come to you. This would be the follow-up questions if this were a really interesting interview that was interested in getting the news. Okay, if the, upon hearing that somebody who was willing to turn himself in had the door kicked in by 30 FBI agents... And, you know, well, I assume that in this case, all the procedures, you didn't bother to go, hey, give me the phone. Give me this guy on the phone. What the hell's going on? This person was ready to turn themselves in, willing to turn themselves in. They were cooperating with you. And you decided to kick the door in. What kind of justification do you have for that? You didn't bother to ask that question? See, that would be my follow-up question. Because it sure sounds like Christopher Ray is implying that he doesn't, know the specifics of the, and to, beyond the 30,000 foot level. Hey, you know, this is what went on, but, you know, I don't know. It seems to me that those procedures were followed in this case. Well, if this is following procedures, then his lawyers are lying. If his lawyers aren't lying, then the FBI agent is lying or you're lying. Somebody's lying here because it doesn't all add up. So you got anything to say about that, Mr. Drake? But no, that was not what transpired there with Brett Baer. Yeah, I mean, historically, FBI protocol is that a defendant has, if it has no criminal history, is not believed to be violent or pose a threat to public safety, that he or she is permitted to self-surrender rather than subject um, dynamic execution of an arrest warrant. And here's what I'm talking about is the dual system. You know, there's that for a pro-life activist, but not that for a Black Lives Matter protester who maybe torches a federal building um, over the summer. So that disparity, that dichotomy, is what sticks in people's mind. I understand that people have their opinions. Uh, All I can tell you is that we have one standard, one standard, uh, which is irrespective of ideology, of politics. In this country, it doesn't matter what you're upset about, 
or who you're upset with, you don't get to express that upset with violence. And so we are agnostic as the ideology and focused on the violence. <laughs> I understand that people are entitled to their opinions. Oh, well, thank you, our Lord and Savior, Christopher Ray. Except, you know, what a stupid thing to say. People are entitled to their opinions. Okay, yes. Well, no uh, no feces, Sherlock. But when it comes to violence, we don't mess around. Violence. The guy was accused of pushing somebody. Pushing somebody who was in an argument with his daughter. Getting in his daughter's face. Pushed her. Pushed the guy. And he was facing 11 years in prison. And Christopher Ray goes, I understand that people have their opinions. But we don't take chances with violent felons. Really? Because the people that you've arrested in relation to the, in charge in relation to the uh, BLM Antifa riots were, in fact, engaged in violence. They do have long criminal histories. Hauk doesn't have a criminal history at all. And yet you kicked in Hauk's door and you don't bother kicking in the people who vote the way that your boss likes. Chrissy, that's the circle that you're trying to square. That's the problem. See, Brett Baer didn't bother to have any follow-ups. Brett Baer didn't bother to have any examples. He just let it go. He just let it go. Upon hearing, we deal with why we take violence very seriously, you could have brought up the facts of the case. But the Fox News story of the case is just a, a ripped-off version of a Life News article. This was just one of the worst interviews I've ever seen conducted. And when you sit there and you see the end of the segment where they're sitting down and going, oh, thank you for your time. Thank you for your Oh, it's great. It's great to be here. And you go, that was it? And then they go, ooh, they got a little walk and talk later on in the show. And they walk and they talk and they go down to the elevators and like, well, thank you. Thank you so much for your service, Director Ray. No, you don't slobber all over your subject. It's pathetic. And then, to make things worse, they brought on a panel, the panel of uh, the, uh, the all-star panel. It used to be all-stars. Now it's it's getting really worse. It's getting terrible. Um, because it used to actually be journalists. You know, give me Byron York every single day of the week. Everybody else you can, you can I don't know, dump them in the bay. But they brought in their panel to discuss the interview. The interview was terrible. Of course, none of them said, you know, I really would have asked some follow-up questions. I probably would have spent less time on things the FBI didn't have anything to do with. I probably wouldn't have kissed his butt so much. Nobody's going to say that. They all want to get back on it. So they go, well, it was very, wow, it was a powerful, powerful interview. No, it wasn't. It's a damn joke. It's a missed opportunity. It was an opportunity to conduct journalism, and it didn't work. But I tell you, God, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I'll say it anyway. When Brett Baer came out with a book about uh, Reykjavik, the summit, I forget, the five, he does this stupid five days, three days, whatever, to change the world thing. I saw him, I heard him actually interviewed on Rush's show, and I heard him interviewed everywhere on Fox, of course. And he talked about the fact that at Reykjavik, the entire nuclear the concept of the of disarming 
nuclear war had across every one of them completely disarming was on the table and reagan walked away from it because he didn't trust the soviet union and he didn't wouldn't give up on the strategic defense initiative as democrats called it star wars i was a kid at the time i knew that he is a news anchor on the most popular news channel and and cable news and he was repeating this like it was some sort of factoid that he had just dug up. Every documentary about Reagan talks about that summit and talks about that very fact. And he's like, wow, this is revelation. Did you know that and, and every rush was as polite as could be while being taken aback by the fact that somebody in the news business didn't recognize the news? So maybe I'm just expecting too much. I don't know. But I'm not going to lower my expectations. I'll just uh, change my viewing habits if things don't get better. All right, I want to shift from talking about Brett Baer, <laughs> making sure that Fox hates me, to talking about, well, let's do the student loan thing. Because yesterday the Supreme Court heard arguments in the student loan forgiveness. Now, this is... It's not being explained very well. They're they're suing to stop it, and they're arguing. The argument is also about whether or not the plaintiffs have standing to sue. So if the Supreme Court says that these people have not been harmed by this, the, the plaintiffs, this case gets thrown out without deciding on the merits of it. It's really kind of a, a big mess. And uh, there's a possibility and probability that if look if the Supreme Court says, "Hey, you, they have standing," then they will issue a decision on this. But it's going to take until we're expecting an announcement on this until June, which is when the end of the Supreme Court session takes place. It just seems like these people could do their jobs on a rolling date. They don't have to wait until the end of their term to release their decisions. If something's obvious, they come out. Like, on the matter of standing, without telling us how you're going to rule, take about a week to go, all right, well, what do we got on the standing here? Let's not pretend that the Supreme Court is packed with... It's just a massive docket, overloaded with cases. No, it's, it's not. That's not how... There's no part of government that is like that the supreme court is no different all right they reject the vast majority of the cases that they take they take very few cases relative to the cases that are brought to them every year they get to set their own schedule spare me all and they get like all right you'll get an hour for oral arguments okay oral arguments by the way are a waste of time for the most part you could just, the judges have already made up their minds. The legal briefs have already been filed to the extent that they're ever going to be read. They have been read already and factored into the decision. There's not a lot, I've never heard of a single instance, that probably are some, but I've never heard of a single instance before the Supreme Court where a member of the Supreme Court, forget the majority of the court, but a member of the Supreme Court said during oral arguments, well, or even said after oral arguments. I was totally on one side of the issue, but then upon hearing oral arguments, upon hearing the lawyers speak whilst wildly being interrupted for 20 minutes, uh, I've fully changed my mind. There is no magic 
cluster of words or order of words to put in there that will suddenly have people go, whoa, light bulb just went off. Now I get it. It's not the case. So oral arguments are really a waste of time. They're kabuki theater. And it's sad because by the time you get to the Supreme Court, you have all the other lower court case arguments that are available. You have all the lower court case decisions that were available. All the amicus, everything is already in, in there. So you're sitting there and you're going, this is a waste of time. But they do it. They dance around it. And what was telling and what was funny and what was messed up was that there were a bunch of protests outside the Supreme Court. And I get it. Both sides protest outside the Supreme Court. And let me just assure you, as sure as the sun rose in the east today, your picketing outside the Supreme Court doesn't matter. As surely as oral arguments don't matter. Your picket signs don't matter. Your chants do not matter. You're not going to change any justice's mind. You're going to raise a bunch of idiots' money is what you're going to do. You're going to probably be giving those idiots your, some of your money. That's all this is about. You always hear people, talk, activists talking about, we mobilize, we've got to mobilize people, we mobilize, we've got to keep them mobilized, keep them engaged. keep them. It's not because of any other reason except that they want the money that comes along with it. If you're seen as doing something, somebody's going to maybe give you money to keep doing it. If you're getting money from people you've engaged with, then you keep them engaged. And oh no, you can't not get engaged. It's too damned important, and you just scare the hell out of people. Keep them panicked. Keep them distracted from the fact that nothing else is going on. In fact, there's a reporter yesterday, Stephen Maisie. M-A-Z-I-E. He covers the Supreme Court for The Economist. He covers the Supreme Court for The Economist. And he tweets out, if the Supreme Court throws out Biden's student debt relief plan, some 20 to 30 million Americans are going to look at five or six justices as costing them $10,000 to $20,000. That could drive SCOTUS's, the Supreme Court's popularity, still lower. They don't care. <laughs> in fact, you don't want to live in a country where they care. You don't want to live in a country where the Supreme Court looks at a case and says, well, you got the merits on one side, but I would become wildly unpopular at my grandchildren's soccer game on the other side. So, yeah, the court, the law demands one thing, but my social calendar demands something else. You don't want Supreme Court justices who live or die by their popularity numbers. They don't matter in the grand scheme of things. But, and it, you know, honestly, what's really funny is the liberals they've already got. You ever notice that these arguments are never made about the liberals? There's no case where they go, well, it seemed as though maybe Justice Sotomayor was going to join with the conservative majority in this case, because the plain language of the Second Amendment is obvious to anybody with an IQ higher than their shoe size. You've never heard that uttered, ever. 
I don't know why they bother to show up to work. Honestly, just go, you know what, what whatever Democrats want, I'm down with. And they say, yes, the va- and it is true, the vast majority of the uh, cases before the Supreme Court are decided either unanimously or an overwhelming majority with bipartisanship. That's true, because the vast majority of the cases that they go before the Supreme Court are irrelevant to your daily life. And are about minor things or very specific things related directly to a very specific case, not general overarching principles like the uh, limit of executive branch power and the ability of a president of the United States to spend a half a billion dollars with the stroke of a pen and without the approval of Congress, those sorts of things. So, yes, they do agree on the vast majority of things. That's like saying... Okay, well, my liberal neighbor and I agree that we both like food. Okay. Do you like mm, vegetables? We both like vegetables. Do you like meat? Well, we both like meat, but they don't really eat all that much meat. Okay. Do you like pasta? Well, we don't really eat that much pasta. They eat a lot of pasta. Then you get down into it. Do you like escargot? Hell no, I won't eat escargot, but next door they're sucking down snails constantly. The cases that matter the most, that have the most impact, are the, the escargot, if you will. And there are not instances where Democrats will sit there and go, you know what? I see it. Ever. And you can say, well, what about the Republicans? They base their argument on the Constitution. Read a decision. Read a majority decision from a conservative justice, and you will see that they have made a reasoned argument justifying it and explaining it by using the Constitution of the United States of America. True story. Look it up. Democrats do not. Democrats will cite international law. Democrats will cite, you know, feelings. They'll cite what the legislatures wanted. The Constitution is not a get-out-of-responsibility-free card for legislators. It is restraints on the government, including legislators. Period. End of story. So anyway, outside the Supreme Court yesterday, let's start with Cory Bush. We have two clips, just to demonstrate how insane these leftists are. The whole squad was out there. Oh, we got to forgive student loans. It's the most important thing to do. I would remind everybody that this argument is over a an executive action that the President of the United States took when Democrats controlled the House and the Senate. And I would also remind you that when Democrats controlled the House and the Senate, they never once, particularly in the United States Senate, bothered to try to push legislation to do this. They knew that there would be court cases about this. In many ways, Republicans fell right into their trap. They want the issue. They don't give a damn about whether or not student loans are forgiven. They don't have any sympathy for these people. They don't have any empathy. They don't care about people. I don't understand what anybody could look at their actions and go, well, these Democrats, they care deeply. They do not give a damn about people. Individuals are disposable. They are tools. They are means to an end. 
They care about their family, their friends, their money managers, but that's it. They don't give a damn about the average person that they'll never meet, except if they can use them as a prop in a campaign ad or a speech or something. Elizabeth Warren has floated this idea. Oh, student loan forgiveness. We can, the president can forgive student loans. No, they can't. Yes, they can. Okay, well, you think they can. You can't really make a convincing argument, but you're not convincing you know, a good chunk of the country, particularly conservatives with your ridiculous arguments. Maybe understanding that would cause you to go when your party is in the majority in the Senate and you had the House to draft a piece of legislation to do what it is. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, their argument, well, it's redundant. The president can just do it. The president can just do it. Isn't that wonderful leadership? I don't have to do anything. The president can just do it. Realistically, that translates into, I want the issue. This is an issue like this. Democrats don't give up after one election cycle. Hell no. They'll milk this thing for as long as they can. Remember the arguments that they've been making forever. We need comprehensive immigration reform. We have a broken immigration system. We need this. We need that. We need the other thing. And every single time, Democrats got complete control of Congress, including one eight-month period when they had 60 votes in the United States Senate, meaning a filibuster was impossible. Democrats literally could have done anything they wanted. They did absolutely nothing on immigration. They didn't even try. They didn't even try. I don't remember if they held hearings on a bill, but they did not hold a vote. There would be no point in holding hearings if they were just going to ram it through. If it's so damned important that it needed to be done, you would have think that when there was nothing a Republican could do to stop them from doing it, it would have happened. It did not. Why? Because Democrats wanted the issue. They'd been running on the issue up to that point. Then they said, oh, crap, we could do this. We can't do it. We got to find, we'll just ignore it. We'll not even really talk about it. And then the ability to do something about it will go away. And then we'll say, we need to help the dreamers and we need mass amnesty and we need comprehensive immigration reform again. You say, why didn't you do that? Instead, you chose health care. You couldn't do two major pieces of legislation at the same time. No. They want the issue. They want the issue. They want the issue on student loans, too. They want it so they can say to young people, oh, were it not for those dastardly Republicans, you would not have $20,000 in student loans. You wouldn't. You'd be saved if it weren't for those rascally Republicans. The people aren't going to know that Democrats didn't do a damn thing about it when they could have. Didn't even try. Oh, they'll say, well, the Republicans would have filibustered it. Um, You could have shoehorned it into any piece of legislation you rammed through Congress. Let's be honest. It didn't stop you from doing the things you desperately wanted to do. And you'd really have no idea how some of the squishy Republicans would have bothered to vote. Really? Let's be honest. There are a lot of Republicans in the United States Senate. I look at it and go, you know what? They might vote for student loan forgiveness or some partial student loan forgiveness. Instead, they didn't try. But boy, howdy, do they still have the issue. 
do they still care deeply about the issue? So this is Cori Bush. Cori Bush cares because she's a racist piece of crap. And uh, she, this is a horrible country for black women, says a black woman who's making a fortune and has been elected to Congress. It's so oppressive that you've gotten far ahead. She's a horrible creature, this Cori Bush. But she's uh, stuck on stupid in the playbook page in the Democratic Party. Debt relief plan. It takes significant steps to reducing the racial wealth gap, and I'm going to address that. We know that black borrowers, specifically black women, carry the heaviest student debt burden. We know that black women already struggle with wage discrimination. We earn on average 58 cent for every dollar a white man earns. That ain't right. Historically low pay combined with high rates of student debt relief means financial devastation for black and brown borrowers and we see it every day and they say that's okay but that ain't right that ain't right not doing massive loan forgiveness is now racist how why was somebody forced to take out a massive student loan somebody forced to do that i don't think somebody was forced to do that and your student loan forgiveness and your ability to pay for your student loans is based more on, well, it's based on your choice of major and your ability to do the job. It has nothing whatsoever to do with your skin color. See, the way that they argue these things, it's about the unit of measure. Women make less than men. Well, if you take all men and all women and just divide by the amount of income, for, yeah, they sure do. But there are way more women who stay home than there are men who stay home and don't work. So you're going to have a bunch of people who don't work counting in that statistic. It's all about how you calculate this thing. But Cori Bush is a racist piece of crap. She doesn't really give a damn about any of that. She might not be involved in the uh, strategy of keeping people ignorant. She just might be kept ignorant herself. It's tough to tell. She's not a very bright person, but she's a bad person. That much is certain. Okay, so now we have uh, we had Cori Bush whining about all oh, the black women are getting screwed the most. Democrats set up this whole system, by the way. Black women are being screwed the most. Oh, might want to look at Democrats. Physician, heal thyself. We then go to Randy Weingarten. Randy, no human being, except for maybe Tony Fauci, has done more damage to children, the children of the United States of America, than Randy Weingarten. I got to get, now she edges out Fauci. Fauci definitely screwed him up. He was responsible for the damage done or you know, gets the damage done for the, uh, the pandemic. Randy Weingarten gets a chunk of that. She gets a big chunk of that too because she fought to keep schools closed for exceedingly longer than they needed to be. And uh, that means at all. But she's also been damaging students by representing teachers in the union for decades before that. The teachers' unions, will, they pretend they care about children, but when the chips are down, they are a teachers' union. They are not a students' union. They are not a parents' union. And sadly, too many people in this country think, well, they're teachers, the teachers' unions. They care about the kids. They're looking out for the kids. They're not looking out for the kids. The reason that really bad teachers can't be fired 
teachers who've said inappropriate things, done inappropriate things, is because it costs about $150,000 and takes a couple years to go through all the rigmarole to overrule and override a teacher's union contract to be able to fire an incompetent or corrupt or perverted teacher. So they, the districts go, it's, we can't afford to fire this person. So they get to stay or they put them in a, what in New York City they call the rubber room where teachers who cannot be trusted in rooms with children are put eight hours a day, just like they're teaching a course, but they're not there. They're put there with each other. They're not allowed to leave. They get their lunch break and what have you. But as long as they show up to work, they still get their vacations, they get their sick days, they get everything else every other union teacher gets, they'll get their pension. They'll get their pension without having taught a teacher, having taught a student for 15 years, 20 years. Just depends. Once you get that tenure, once you can't be fired easily, you really can't be fired. And Randy Weingarten is the current standard bearer for that abomination perpetrated on our children the teachers who can't teach having a permanent job on our dime here she is outside the supreme court whining about student loan debt and so that is why president biden said we are going to deal with that as we deal with the end of the pandemic we're going to deal with that. We're not going to start student debt again without actually making a down payment of it. And the Secretary of Education had the right to do it. And frankly, and this is what really pisses me off, during the pandemic, we understood that small businesses were hurting. And we helped them. And it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. Big businesses were hurting, and we helped them, and it didn't go to the Supreme Court to challenge it. All of a sudden, when it's about our students, they challenge it, the corporations challenge it, the student loan lenders challenge it. That is not right, that is not fair, and that is what we are fighting as well when we say, cancel student debt. This is about the people. And it is about the people's future. And it is about all of your futures. Oh, our children. It's about our children. See, uh, the government forced those businesses to shut down. I understand you're not a very bright person. and You're not a good person at all. And you're about to blow a gasket. And quite frankly, I'd like to see it. But um, government forced those businesses to close. Forced them to close costing them money so you had a choice you could either help them not go out of business or let them all go out of business and completely collapse the economy nobody nobody forced students to take out student loans to attend colleges that were way more expensive than they needed to that's a big difference randy i get it you're not very bright but it is something that i think somebody with even you and your limited intelligence might be able to comprehend i would think and don't you love the way and it's always the way isn't it you have these you watch the libs of tiktok videos and these teachers my children this my children i had told them that i'm a pansexual who identifies as a crepe and oh it was the best because they started calling me madam crepe and oh it's always those people 
who don't have kids. They don't have children. Randy Weingarten has no children. Isn't it weird? It's always, oh, the children. Oh, I care about the children. We dare. She is not the, te- the union of children's president. She's the teacher's union's president. That's what I told you. That's what I meant. That's the way it is. She doesn't, not only doesn't have children, she doesn't really care about children as a professional job, and she doesn't really know anything about children. Children to leftists, to progressives, are a cloak, are a shield. You wrap yourself in children. You wrap yourself in the children. And that deflects a lot of criticism. It's to think about it this way as a terrorist. Somebody is uh, taking people hostage. What do they do? They grab a woman or a child. They stand behind them. Democrats are the biggest protectors of women and children. And if you criticize anything that they do or say, you hate women or you hate children or you're a racist. I'm sorry, the real problem is the person who continually uses children as a human shield from responsibility. Randy Weingarten doesn't give a damn about children. It's not her job. It's not in her job description. And it's not in her personal life. She has no experience raising children. She has no bond, but you don't have to be, I'm not saying that parentless children, nothing like that. It's about her priorities. She sits there. Don't talk about our children. Parentless children don't sit there and go, uh, or, or children, uh, adults without kids don't sit there and talk about our children, our children, our children, unless they have this weird complex. Progressivism. They want to impose their will on everybody else. They want to control what children do. The vast majority of the people who are out there arguing that children, it's not only good, but they should be attending drag queen story hours. Oh, they absolutely should be there. It's wonderful. It's for the ch- Do you? Th- how many of them do you think have children? How many of them do you think have children? Now, there are probably a couple. A couple of them would do. But how many of them do you honestly believe have children of their own? Not many. Some, but not many. I find the more people, progressively, particularly progressive leftists, the more they proclaim themselves to be the guardians of children, to care about children, to be overly concerned with whatever about children, the less likely they are to have children. Just like, and this is a bit mean, but I don't care, it's true. I found it to be true. I believe it to be true. The people who are the most vocal, the most vehement supporters of abortion are the people least likely to ever need the service. It's not just saying that it's, if you look at your average pro-abortion rally, you're going to find a bunch of chuddy, unattractive women. Chuddy, like chud, the cannibalistic underground humanoid dwellers from the movie, or cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. Uh, But it's also men. They're not going to need an abortion, despite what Democrats will tell you, despite what, you know, the newest version of biology books will tell you. It's always always the people who are least likely concerned, who are least impacted, who 
were the most vocal. Then you have to begin to say, well, maybe there's another reason. Maybe Randy Weingarten cares so much about this issue because what? Because it's all part of the left-wing industrial education complex. That's why. She wants the college professors to continue to, well, she wants, the colleges are turning out more members for her and more people to indoctrinate to leftism. She's going to defend every gear in the machine. The abortion people, the, 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 the women are convinced that someday they're going to find somebody. And the men are going, I don't want to have to have a kid. I just want to have the fun. And so they, you sit there and you go, well, there's, what they say, therefore, what they say they support, what they say they care about desperately. And then there's the reality of the situation. Here's a good pro tip. Don't go to a college that costs more than it's worth. Determine what it's worth by figuring out what you want to be when you grow up and then getting a good, go to a school with that good education. If it is anywhere in the liberal arts field, don't go to college. Your problems will be solved. If you want to go into gender or racial studies or sexual studies, don't go to, don't do it. You don't need it anyway. And you will avoid student debt. If it's dance, theater, anything like that, don't go to school. If you do, and you don't understand what the concept of a loan is, I can't help you, I won't help you. Maybe sue your, your primary schools because they miseducate you, sue your parents because they didn't teach you right. But do not look to everybody else to absolve you from your own stupidity. That's going to be a hard pass, and it should be a hard pass. In the uh, limited time we have left, I have some audio that I do wish to play. First, let's do little Mayor Pete, little Secretary Mayor Pete. He's still out there. Joe Biden announced that he's not going to East Palestine. Have you noticed, by the way, that story's pretty much disappearing? There's no Joe Biden has announced he's not going. He has no plans to go. He doesn't want to go. It's too dangerous. What the hell would he want? He's old enough. He's got enough health issues. Fetterman isn't going to go either. But he doesn't want to go. I wouldn't want to go to a toxic hellhole. I'm not president of the United States. But he said there's no plans to go right now. No, 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 no. We'll see how long this story lasts. He didn't necessarily say that last part. But it was implied. We'll see how long this story lasts and whether or not I can avoid going there. So he's not going. The story's disappearing. The health concerns are still there. The pollution is still there. Every video of a rock or a stick being stuck in a creek when it comes up with all sorts of chemicals, still there. That's still all those chemicals are still there. What's not there is any interest in the media. Now, remember... The media wasn't interested in this story to begin with. It took a week before they started to report on it. It took 10 days before Secretary Mayor Pete bothered to comment on it. It took 20 days before he bothered to show up there. The president of the United States, if it is a blue state or a state that he wishes to contend, he will get immediate attention. He will dispatch there. He will go there. This is an outrage. Don't worry. We feel your pain. We're going to be there. And then he'll tell you some story about how uh, Bo Biden died because of a train derailment in Iraq or something. It's just whatever it is. It's not. He's not bound by reality. He's a political opportunist and a genuinely awful human being. Exploiting the death of a child the way that he did. What he exploited the death of his daughter, exploited the death of his wife for decades. What kind of scumbag? Why not? What's the difference in an adult child 
and a toddler. Well, you'd think at some point human decency would kick in, but you have to have it for it to kick in. And uh, Secretary Mayor Pete is no different. Secretary Mayor Pete was on CNN talking about, being asked about, he wasn't talking about it, he was being asked about the train derailment the other day. And he said, well, one of the criticisms was that he was focused more on climate change than he was on the lives of those Republican voters in Ohio. That's really the the key is they're Republican voters, so they don't care. And Secretary Mayor Pete, whilst people are still living in fear and can't drink their water, living in fear of being poisoned by a stiff breeze, or who knows what it would kick up, being poisoned by their water, what have you, Secretary Mayor Pete gets more upset that anybody would do dare say anything that would disparage climate change and the concept of climate change than anything else. That's what he's going to be. Fighting that is what he wants to be and what he thinks he will be remembered for, when in reality he will be forgotten if there is justice in this world. Climate is not nonsense. Dealing with climate change is one of the biggest things that people like me and people like him will be remembered for after we're gone. Oh, the President of the United States and Secretary Mayor Pete are more interested in this climate change nonsense than they are in helping the people of East Palestine. No, 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 that's not nonsense. Look, if you get cancer and die at 30 years old because of a train derailment and I oversaw it and didn't bother to show up and didn't really even make sure that everything was done. If that happens, it's it's sad. It's a tragedy for your family. But if our Democrat donors do not get every last dime of taxpayer money out of us that they possibly can, in order to combat a hoax that they manufactured so that the products that they create and sell would be forced upon the American public. That is a tragedy on a global scale, ladies and gentlemen. I'm only slightly exaggerating. Now we come to Jonathan Capehart. Jonathan Capehart, he was on Morning Joe this morning. I swear to God, if you look at the guest list of Morning Joe, Wes Moore, the governor of Maryland, is on all the time. Michael Steele is on all the time. Why? What's going on in Maryland that they need to talk? Nothing. It's just they're they're trying to manufacture another Barack Obama, and Wes Moore is a black guy. I think, okay, well, there you go. How about you wait until he accomplishes something? Well, they didn't wait for Barack Obama to accomplish anything. Why would they start now? Accomplishment, schmaccomplishment. Accomplishment is for suckers and white nationalists anyway or something. But they had on Jonathan Capehart, who is an African-American fellow, who is also a member of the LGBTQRSTUVWXYZ mafia in good standing. So he's got two check marks next to him, whereas Mika, who does this introduction, only has one. She's introducing Jonathan Capehart because he recently sat down with Doug Emhoff, Kamala Harris's husband. What an embarrassing job title, the second gentleman. 
to sit there and talk about toxic masculinity. To give an inter- now, who cares what the second gentleman has to say about anything, okay? He's not elected to anything. He's made a fortune. He's worth millions of dollars. Of course he is because he's exploited his, his wife's position, which, of course, his wife got her position because of a position she previously held with Willie Brown. Anyway, <clears throat> this introduction, it really kind of shows you the the arrogance of Mika. She has no interest in Jonathan Capehart. She's going to say what she's going to say. She can't improvise. She just reads it off a teleprompter. I find this both cold and hilarious. Jonathan Capehart joins the conversation now. He's the host of the Saturday show and the Sunday show here on MSNBC and an associate editor and columnist for The Washington Post. And Jonathan, yesterday you sat down with the second gentleman, Douglas Emhoff, for an inside look at his work to promote gender equity and the support he offers Vice President Kamala Harris. And in the discussion Doug discussed his push to change the perception of traditional gender norms. Let's take a look at that. <laughs> uh, this introduction, I have no use for you, Jonathan Caport, even though she's known him for decades. And it's C-A-P-E-H-A-R-T, not O-R-T. But uh, Jonathan Caport, caddy much? I mean, what did he mean? Yeah. Where's where's Joe? Somebody's having a bad day. Joe isn't around. Joe's traveling. So when Joe is not uh, Joe is away, Joe might do all sorts of things. She knows how she got together with Joe. Anyway, listen to this clip of Cape Hart and Emhoff talking about the dangers of toxic masculinity. Now there is no masculinity. There's no testosterone at all in this clip. You will not hear it from either men. Not because Cape Hart is gay or that he's the second gentleman. It's because they're progressive leftists. They are Zeta males to the max. So a moment ago, I asked you about a question about gender roles. I want to dive in even deeper on that. And just can we just talk about masculinity for a moment? Um, has being second gentleman changed your own view of perceived gender roles or what it means to be a man? Oof, that's, this is something I've, I've thought about a lot and something I've spoken about a lot. There's too much of toxicity, it, it, masculine toxicity out there. And there, we've kind of confused what it means to be a man, what it means to be masculine, where you've got this trope out there that you've got to be tough and you know, angry and, and lash out to be strong. I, it's just the opposite. You know, strength is how you show your love for people. Strength is how you are for people and how you have their back and how you, you stick up for other, other people and pushing up, pushing out against bullies. I mean, that's what I believe it is. So every time I can speak against to- this toxicity, I, we're seeing it with our younger people. We're seeing it in our discourse and our politics in the media. You're seeing it as it relates to so many of the issues that we're, we're pushing back on. So um, I think it's a problem, and I'm going to continue to use this platform every time I get to, to speak out against this toxic masculinity that's out there. Oh, the toxic masculinity. This, this talks about the toxic masculinity. Oh, I mean, every chance I get to talk when you're not, what, making your millions is running a hedge fund, you're going to talk about toxic masculinity. Trust me, dude, nobody looks at you and thinks toxic masculinity. It's the people who would slap you in a bar fight who want to talk about toxic masculinity. 
Oh, man. Willie Brown would not have talked about toxic masculinity. Willie Brown was masculine. I wonder if Doug is insecure. These are the people running the country, ladies and gentlemen, in the media and in politics. It's terrifying. Need some toxic masculinity. We need some masculinity. Get some testosterone back in the world. Anyway, that's it. That's all the time we have for today. Have yourself an awesome one. We'll be back again to repeat it tomorrow because the crazy, like I say, never stops. 